Okay, page 13. Our great creator, when has an invention or discovery blown your mind? When man landed on the moon. <laughs> when man landed on the moon? Okay. Anybody else? Last discovery or invention that blew your mind? Internet. Huh? The internet. Okay. Cell phone. All right. Anybody else? What about the driverless car? Oh, yeah, yeah. Hybrid. Yeah. Wow. Not the hybrid, the other one too. The driverless car, you know, yeah. it drives itself. Yeah. Nobody's behind the wheel. Yeah. You know, what next? Yeah. I think they have already had an accident with that and somebody got killed, right? So, that doesn't have too, too good uh, prospects ahead. Okay, let's look at um, Bible Meets Life, page 14. God created us and He knows each of us. One question has been universal to every culture and civil. You could turn that off, please. Somebody got a phone on? Put it on mute. That's an on phone? Okay. Go ahead, uh, sorry. One question has been universal to every culture and civilization in human history. How did we get here? People often attempt to answer this question by looking through two different lenses, science and religion. Unfortunately, many people have come to the conclusion that these lenses are in opposition to each other, that we must embrace one and reject the other. The truth is that science and faith are not enemies. In fact, they should, they should be viewed as partners. That's why I'm glad to know 72% of Americans, including 46% of non-religious Americans, believe the universe points to some form of intelligent creator. Many scientists feel the same, including brilliant minds such as Francis Collins, who was head of the National Human Genome Research Institute for 15 years. Still acknowledging a generic designer won't help us on a spiritual level. We need to go deeper. Thankfully, we can learn more about our Creator by exploring the Bible, which is His Word. Okay, keep those thoughts in mind as we move on to the passage. Page 15, uh, verses 6 to 9. The heavens were made by the Word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of His mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into a heap. He puts the depths into the storehouses. Let the whole earth tremble before the Lord. Let all inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and he came into being. He commanded, and he came into existence. Okay, what is the psalmist doing here? In these verses. Welcome, Pastor Brian. Good to have you. Uh, but Albert, you want to lend him a book, please? What is the, the psalmist doing? Okay, he's talking about our greater God. Okay, he's praising God for his power and his creativity, right? Everything that we see 
in creation, God made it from scratch. From scratch. You know what it is to make something from scratch, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it don't turn out the way you want it, right? No. <laughs> Anybody ever bake a cake from scratch yes. and it didn't turn out right? Yes. Okay. But you still ate it. You still ate it. Okay. God created everything from scratch. He didn't have to uh, have no uh, counsel or advice from anybody. Uh, and, and it's evident in all aspects of creation. God does not make mistakes. Okay? You need to remember that because there are a lot of people who go around saying they are a man trapped in a woman's body and a woman trapped in a man's yeah, body. A you know, uh, God don't make mistakes like that. Okay? It's, 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 it's how Satan has ordered the contents of this world that have twisted people's minds and perverted people's minds. But God... Remember, what did God say after, after each day of creation? It was good. It was good. He didn't say, wow, man, I wish I had done something else. He didn't say, boy, you know what? I need to get another crack at that because that didn't turn out the way I, I really wanted it to turn out. No, after each day of creation, he said, it is good. And every day went like that. And so we need to pray for wisdom to explore the important and challenging topic that we're looking at today. Uh, that we begin to look at today. Okay, uh, verse 6. Well, let's go on. Let's just... Question number 2. What, what thoughts or emotions surface when you read these verses? Mm-hmm. That's creation. When we read those verses, what thoughts stand out? The song, How Great Thou Art. Now, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yes, me too. How Great Thou Art. Because only God could have done it the way it has been done. Okay, um, let's look at the paragraphs on page 15 and 16. Therefore, any person, including an atheist, who agrees that murder is evil, has adopted an objective morality. What are you reading? You're reading from 16, 15. 15, 15. and 16. Start with 15. Mm -hmm. 15. Oh, start with 15? Yeah. Okay. As a whole, Psalm 33 is an expression of praise to God as our Creator. There? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. There it is. When we look at verses 6 to 9, specifically, we see an emphasis on God's power as Creator. The heavens and all they contain were made by the spoken word of the Lord. Indeed, God is so powerful that he created the universe out of nothing. See Hebrews 11.3. His mere command resulted in the vastness and majesty of everything we see. And when we observe the beauty of God's creation, we naturally marvel at his handiwork. God also created you. He formed you in your mother's womb so that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. See Psalm 139, 13 and 14. Thank you, Jesus. God created you for a purpose, and you can only realize and fulfill that purpose as you follow him. Creation is meant to bow daily in submission to his creator. Obviously, some people challenge the reality of God's existence. Atheists deny God's existence, while agnostics are unsure. So, can we be certain that God exists? Absolutely. The complexities of the human body offer a great deal of evidence for the existence of God. 
The intricacies of our biology point to divine design, and divine design, in turn, points to a divine creator. Paul wrote, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly since seen. seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. Romans 1.20 Objective morality is another type of evidence for God. In general, we find that certain acts, such as murdering an innocent person, are deemed immoral in all places and in all times throughout history. Therefore, any person, including an atheist, who agrees that murder is evil, has adopted an objective morality. Objective morality points to a moral standard or moral law which, is turn point, which in turn points to a moral lawgiver. This is God. He has placed a moral compass within the makeup of humanity. He has made himself known through our inner consciences. In other words, the universe around us and our own consciences within us both scream, there is a God. Let's not miss the incredible fact that God's creation includes us. Motivated by his infinite love, God created us with moral freedom, with the ability to choose between right and wrong. Why? Because true love doesn't force itself upon someone. Freedom is a divine gift bestowed on us by our loving God. Sadly, we responded to this act of love by rebelling against our Creator, which is the essence of sin. Okay, a couple of main points we want to look at in that uh, the passage that we read. Um, the first one is, as a whole, Psalm 33 is an expression of praise to God as our Creator. When we look at verses 6 to 9 especially, we see an emphasis on God's power as what we want to describe as the only awesome creator there is. And then the second point is obviously some people challenge the reality of God's existence. Atheists deny God's existence while agnostics are not sure. So we can be certain that God exists. Absolutely. And then the third point is the complexities of the human body offer a great deal of evidence for the existence of God. What are some of the evidence of the complexities of the human body that give evidence of, of, of God? Anybody? What are the evidences? Okay, the complexities of the human body offer a great deal of evidences for the existence of God. What are some of those complexities? Not everyone looks the same and is the same. Okay, not everyone looks the same. Uh, nobody has the same. Nobody has the same fingerprints. Do you know anybody who has two points have the same fingerprints? Even twins don't have the same. Hmm? Even That's right. Even twins don't have the same fingerprints. Okay. What else do we see? Isn't that awesome? Yes. Think about that now. Someone who what who created everybody. How many people are, have lived in this world? <laughs> Billions, right? Yes. What's the world population now? But uh, what? Eight billion? Six billion? Eight billion. And God created eight billion people, and all of them had different different fingerprints. Imagine that. 
Okay. It, it's, uh, it, it begins with such a miracle that only God can do when He creates life in the womb. He went through so much infertility. Uh, I did through all kinds of infertility trials and all. And in the end, that's the key to much. It's all of God. All God. Amen. That's right. Only God can do that. Intricate bodies, starting with a tiny little thing. That's right. Think of the blood vessels in the body, the veins in the body, the brain. Do you know that the human brain is more complex than any create any computer that man has ever made? You realize that? Oh yeah. Because man's man's brain is the one who who, who creates. Uh, who comes up with these computers and man's brain is more complex than any computer that man has ever created. Think about some of the things that men are doing today in terms of, of create creativity and science. God made all that possible. I know that. Okay. Objectivity, the fourth point is objective morality is another type of evidence for God. And then, of course, no matter where you go, the, 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 the other words screams. The universe around us and all our, and our own consciousness within us both scream, there is a God. Remember the Athenians when Paul went to Athens and found all those idols? Yes. And he found one that was unique. What about that unique one? What was it? The unknown one. The unknown God. And that's evidence, the evidence of all creation scream that, you know, we created all these idols, all these gods, but there's got to be one out there that we didn't think of. And the one that we didn't think of was the only true triune God. Because creation screams that there is a God. And Paul had a tremendous opportunity. He says, oh yeah, that's right. And the one that you don't know, that's the one that I want to introduce you to. Okay, so creation screams, no matter where you go, creation testifies. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament displays his what? His handiwork, the work of his hands. Okay, question number three on page 16. What are the implications of, accept, of accepting the reality of a creator? Okay, what are the implications? Of accepting the reality of a creator. Anybody? We are lower than the creator because we are his created. We are his creation, exactly. All right, anyone else? I think it's James who said you love wisdom. Hmm? I think it's James who said, if you lack wisdom, ask God. If you lack wisdom, ask God. So one of the implications of accepting the Creator is that He is the one that is responsible for clarifying or providing wisdom, clarifying everything in this world that we can't understand. And there are a lot of things in this world that we can't understand. What? Okay. I was in the last once when the guy was promoting Darwin theory. Mm -hmm. Why is it we still have monkeys? <laughs> <laughs> and he put me shocked by saying it wasn't here to plan. He brought it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 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 
to discuss that. <laughs> okay. Okay, so we've seen God's power as the creator of all things in the verses that we, we had we looked at. Now we're gonna move to verses thirteen through fifteen and uh, we'll see he is personally invested in all his creation, including us. God didn't just give instructions to somebody and say, yeah, go make that, and go make this, go make that. He's personally invested in all that he has created. Let's look at verses 13 to 15 on page 16. The Lord looks down from heaven. He observes everyone. He gazes on all the inhabitants of the earth from his dwelling place. He alone shapes their hearts. He considers all their works. Okay, so when we look at verse 13, we see that the God who created the world also cares about all his creatures. Every single one of them. He's not prejudiced against any of the creatures that he has made. He, 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 he acknowledges all of them on the same level. None is more important than the other. Okay, the psalmist moved to describe that God is aware of who we are and what we do. God is always aware because he is omniscient, he's omnipresent. So he's always aware of where we, who we are and what we're doing. The key word picture involved involves the eye of the Lord. Uh, verse 18. God looks down from heaven and observes all of us. Everything that God's not, not watching, He's always watching. Thank you. That's an implication that God doesn't miss anything. Everything that goes on, He catches us all. He doesn't blink. Let me put it that way. You know, when you blink, you miss something, right? Oh, yeah. He doesn't blink. Okay? He, he doesn't miss anything. If the depictions of God as creator highlighted God's power, the focus on God's watching us points to his love. If you love something, you're going to keep an eye on it, right? Yeah. That's right. That's the indication. That's the implication here. His love, his concern, his providence... All are involved in this description of what God is doing in terms of creation. His love, his concern, his providence. In traditional terms, verse 13 points to God's omniscience, being all-knowing. While the earlier verses point to his omnipotence, all-powerful. No one more, much more powerful than God. There's a song by uh, a fellow by the name of, I think it's Vashon, says, Nobody Greater. Vashon. Nobody, was on Mitchell, right? Mitchell. Yeah, Nobody Greater. And there was a great uproar in the last general election when that song was used to introduce a leader of the, one of the political parties. Boy, there was a huge uproar. You know, they had to stop using the song. You know, because there was, the implication was there's nobody greater than him. Yeah. And those of the religious people swarmed on that and they made him stop using that right away. There's nobody greater. The verses speak of God's omniscience and uh, his all-knowingness. There's nothing he doesn't know. 
I, I know, of course, I know we think we know some people who think they know everything, but but God truly knows everything. Okay, so if you if you need to know know anything, the best place to go is to God, right? Yeah. And His omnipotence. Uh, verse. This verse is also an echo. Verse thirteen. God gazes on his world from his dwelling place in the heaven. Sometimes we don't think that God is watching and we see things happening and we say, boy, he's going to get away with that. No, he's not. God's keeping records. God sees and he knows. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page 16 and 17. Stand over verse 16. While verses 6 to 9 identify God as the all-powerful creator, verses 13 and 15 remind us that God is also omniscient, which means he is all-knowing. As God looks down from his throne in heaven, he sees all and knows all. Nothing escapes his notice. That thought might strike fear in us, but it shouldn't. Why? Because God cares deeply about us. He desires for each one of us to know him intimately. For this reason, God uses the circumstances of our lives to shape our hearts. You may not understand why you're going through what you're going through at times, but you can trust God. He is loving and infinitely good. When you place your trust in him, you have the assurance of his divine presence and care forever. Just as some people question God's power in light of the evil in the world, others question his love for the same reason. If God is so good, why does he allow people to suffer? This question has a relatively simple answer. We live in a fallen world because we are strained by, stained by sin. And sin is something we choose to do, not God. Still, even in the midst of a sinful world, God in his goodness can and often does, use suffering in a redemptive way. Joseph suffered again and again, but in the end he told his brothers, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Genesis 50:20. When Jesus' disciples encountered a man born blind, they asked Jesus whether it was the man's own sin or that of his parents at the cause of blindness. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's works might be displayed in him. John 9, verse 3. The greatest example of suffering was the crucifixion of Jesus. Yet, through his suffering, God brought life and salvation. See 1 Peter 3, 18. Okay. Interesting. Uh, Deanthea just looked up the current world's population. And what is interesting about this is, it's 7,454,489,000, now 602, and the number keeps going. It doesn't stop. The number keeps going. It's now 615, 690, and uh, it, the, the births today, just today, 
106,497, 107,995 well, they have a they have a, a clock, a time clock. That's what you, you yeah. uh, came up with, a time clock, and it keeps going. It never stops. Well, how do they know how many people? Though I don't know. I don't know how they do that, but again, that's science, right? That's an indication of of how God created the human mind. Yeah and the brain, that man is able to do something like that, it's all attributed to God's glory. And remember that, no matter what we look at how fantastic and how spectacular things are done, it all goes back to God's glory because God made that person, God made that brain. Okay, we talk about people with different IQs, God made those IQs. But some still don't think so, they still think it's their works that did that. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they, we still don't know how many hairs are on your head or anything like that. But God does. We don't, I know He knows. But God knows I'm the saying. number of hairs. And even though people are losing hair like crazy, <laughs> God knows exactly how much strands of hair you have on your head. <laughs> okay? No matter how many hairs you got, people shave their heads. God knows exactly how much strands of hair you have on your head. Exactly. Wow. The sands of the seashore, the stars of the heavens. Think about the galaxies. We, we still don't know how many galaxies there are. Because man has not been able to discover them yet. Okay, let's look at the, uh, some highlights from the verse we read. Um, the first point, uh, while verses 6 to 9 identify God as all-powerful creator, verses 13 to 15 remind us that God is also omniscient, that is, which means all-knowing. He knows everything. We saw that point. And then the second point is the, the thought that might strike fear in us, but it shouldn't. Why? Because God cares deeply about us. He desires for each of us, each one of us, to know him intimately. God wants, God knows us intimately, and he wants that to be reciprocal. He wants us to get to know him intimately. And that can only happen when we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the third point is, just as some people question God's power in light of the evil in the world, others question his love for the same reason. If God is so good, why does he allow people to suffer? This question has a relatively simple answer. We live in a fallen world because we are stained by sin. And sin is something we choose to do, not God. Think about that. Sin is something man chooses to do. 
not God. And so we will always see indications of those things in this world. And then the final point, still even in the midst of, of a sinful world, God in his goodness can and often does use suffering in a redemptive way. And we see that occasionally. Question number four, as time marches on. Where do we see evidence of, of God's care and concern in the world today? Some examples. Okay, where do we see some examples, some evidence of God's care in the world today? Sparing lives. Okay, sparing lives, okay. Anything more specific? Upon the uh, occurrence of disasters in the world, other countries come to their aid, send money, send supplies, send people. Yeah, and that's clear evidence of God's compassion. Yes. Okay, because people are moved with that moved by God to do that. Okay, and sometimes we attribute it to the people themselves, but it's God who moves and works in mysterious ways. Okay, last verse, uh, verses 15 to 17 on page 18. Colossians. Oh, Brother Randy, I just wanted to add, God sends out missionaries. He moves in the hearts of people all over the world. Oh, that's right. And to spread his love and mm -hmm. care and the message of the gospel mm -hmm. of redemption. We're reaching lives, touching and lives, and changing lives. Well. Yeah. Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. Okay, when we look at verse 15, we know that Paul used some vocabulary, used some vocabulary to describe Jesus that might perplex or confuse uh, some contemporary readers. For example, that Christ is the image of the invisible God. Ever thought about that? Mm -hmm. The image of the invisible God. As a spiritual being, God is typically immaterial and invisible. Yet God does appear in physical form at certain times. For example, God was one of the three visitors who stopped to see Abraham before the birth of Isaac. And we have that recorded in Genesis 18. The ultimate revelation of God in human form, of course, is who? Jesus. Jesus. Right. As John reported, God's son took human form, uh, as recorded in, in John chapter 1 and verse 14. Paul also wrote that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Firstborn has two basic meanings. Sometimes it does refer to chronological sequence, as in the first child to be born in a family. The Bible scholars stress that this temporal or chronological sense is misleading in this context. Paul clearly did not think of Jesus as the first of many children of God. Now, some people view it that way, but it's not so. Jesus was not, mere, was not a mere creature as you and I are, okay? 
Instead, we should remember the firstborn, that firstborn can be a messianic title. As in Psalm 89, 27. It can refer to status or a special relationship. In this more figurative sense, firstborn had nothing to do with a date of birth or birthday. For Paul, Christ was the eternal Son of God, not merely an ordinary human being. Like God the Father, God the Son has priority and supremacy over all of the created world. Everything he has power and supremacy over. Okay, let's look at uh, question number five, the last question on page 18. How do these verses influence your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus? Okay, how do these verses influence our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus? Look at the voices again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Everything, for everything was created by Him. Huh? Confidence, okay. Anybody else? I like um, Psalms 33, 13, and 15. It's, it's good to know that, um, you know, he's always watching over you and protecting you. You know, sometimes you might think that you're in a situation where, you know, you don't have any hope or something like that. Or, I mean, maybe, you know, are you going through something that's traumatic to you? So, I mean, 33, 13, and 15, it, it just, you know, it reminds me at least that you know I'm in the palm of his hand so mm -hmm. he's right there to protect and keep mm -hmm. you safe too, to me. So 16 says everything was created by him so we know who created everything right? Mm -hmm. In heaven and in the earth visible and invisible mm -hmm. so God created the things that we can't see. Yep. We know they're there but we can't see them. Can you see the wind? No. But you know it's there right? Oh yeah. God created that. All right. All things have been created through him and for him, and that's why God gets all the glory. Amen. For he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's the one that's holding things together, not the political leaders. Yeah. Okay, another phrase uh, for this question is, because everything these verses say about Jesus is true, how should that influence our efforts to follow him? That's another rephrasing of that same question. Since all of these things are true, how can that influence us to follow him? Wouldn't you want to follow somebody who knows everything, who created everything, and who is everything? You want to follow somebody like that, right? I would. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs on page uh, 18. We find another poem about God in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Although this poem is centered on Jesus, who is God the Son, let's make sure we understand that distinction before we go any further. 
Jesus is the Son of God, but being God's Son is more than a relational tie. Jesus is God. Jesus Christ is the physical manifestation of the eternal God. In other words, Jesus is the exact representation of God because he is God, according to Hebrews 1.3. The term firstborn in verse 15 means Christ is preeminent or most important. Not that he was a created being. He is the creator who entered creation. He is over all creation and before all things. In other words, he is supreme. Since, God, since Jesus is God, we need only look to him to understand the character of our creator. One, God is powerful, as we see in the miracles of Jesus. Nobody could do such miracles other than Jesus. God is caring and compassionate, as we see when Jesus healed the sick, gave sight to the blind, and fed the multitudes. God is holy and hates sin as we see in Jesus' righteous anger over the desecration of God's temple, as recorded in Matthew 21, 12 to 13. God is loving and just, as we see in Jesus' death. Justice demands payment for sin. In his love, Jesus took our sin on himself, as we see in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And so, we go back to the point. God created us, and he knows each of us. Whenever a person creates something or invents something, and something goes wrong with it, they call the inventor, right? Yeah. Whenever an aircraft crashes, who do they call to do the investigation? The people who made the aircraft, right? Boeing, or one of those other people who make aircrafts. Psalm 33 and Colossians 1, are both poems that describe our Creator. If you read Philippians 2, 5 to 11, often referred to as the Song of Christ, and record any insights, these words. So this is the activity. Uh, this is something that you can do for an assignment at home, and uh, see what you come up with. Okay, if you record the insights of these verses, they will teach you the nature and the character of Jesus Christ as our Creator. So I encourage you to do that exercise. Let's look at page 20. As we look at how we can apply this and wrap it up here. Okay, your Creator is real and He really knows everything about you. How will these truths influence your life this week? Consider taking one of the following steps as a response. One, evaluate. Does your life say you know God personally or just that you know about him? Ask some of your friends and family members to answer this question about you. Good exercise. And the second one is study. Broaden your understanding of the scientific view of creation by reading a book such as Holman Quick Source Guide to Understanding Creation. You can probably Google that. All right, invest. Yes. <laughs> you can Google anything these days, right? Okay, invest. All people are created by God, which means all people have value. Amen? Amen. Okay. Be intentional about spending time with someone this week 
in order to bless that person and reflect God's care for his creation. I'm ready to be Alright. Okay. Yes. Last point. We live in a world that is increasingly reliant on science and the scientific method. Don't let that scare you. The more science reveals to us about creation, the more we will learn about our wondrous creator who loves us. Don't discard what science has to say because scientists are now getting saved. You realize that? Scientists, are, the more they dig and delve into the things of nature and creation, some of them are realizing that God is for real and they're getting saved. So don't let science scare you because science is leading some people to the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.